Well, in uh, last week's service, we watched another video from For Our Life of the World series. And in that video, we saw the main character, known as Evan. He welcomed a stranger into his home, and the two of them struck up a beautiful friendship that led them to playing hide-and-seek together, old-school Nintendo, and even the card game Go Fish together. And his newfound friend discovered some of his dolls and marionettes, and he gave Evan a beautiful presentation from the famous French novel Les Mis. And he showed the beggar and thief, known as Jean Valjean, struggling to find a place to rest his head on a cold, dark night. And stumbling onto the town um, um, of the doorstep of the town bishop, the bishop graciously welcomed him, and he provided um, a warm meal for him and a place to rest his head. At one point in the night, Valjean ended up stealing the bishop's silver, and he escaped off into the night. And after being caught by the police and authorities, he was arrested and brought back to the bishop's house. But to his surprise, the bishop told the authorities that he had given Valjean the silver as a gift. And he asked him to release him. So not only was Valjean spared from prison, but he was the recipient of incredible mercy that changed his life forever. And I know I've talked to many of you, most of you are pretty familiar with the story, or you've read the novel, or maybe you've seen one of the movies. And I want to kind of just take a minute or two to just flip the table on the narrative a little bit, and remind us that we're actually the Jean Valjean in the story. And I'm speaking to believers here, if you think about it. We were taken in by Christ. We were beggars and thieves. We were blind to our own sin. We lived and operated as though we were the center of the universe and as though the world revolved completely around us. And Christ did not have to extend his mercy to us. He could have withheld his love. But even in the midst of our pride and selfishness and greed and lust and jealousy, he accepted us. We were strangers to his grace, but he opened our eyes and showed us more love than well, we could have ever deserved. And Paul had this to say on this topic in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. He said, Remember that in those days you were living utterly apart from Christ. You were lost, without God, without hope. But now you belong to Christ Jesus. And though you were once far away from God, now you have been brought very near to him because of what Jesus Christ has done for you with his blood. Now you are no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. And to take this point a little bit further and even deeper, Paul went on to write this in the book of Romans. For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, Shall we be saved through his life? So we were not only living apart from Christ, but we were lost without hope, complete strangers to God. And not only strangers, but we were God's enemies. And that is a crazy thought to think. God's enemies. Our hearts and our eyes were blind to how our thoughts and desires were contrary to his. We were immersed in our own sin And blind to his grace. And the lust of our eyes and the pride of our hearts created a barrier between the Father and us. If you think of it this way, an enemy is an opposite 
is the opposite of a friend, or at least I'm probably somewhere close. An enemy is the opposite of a friend. A friend is someone you want to know, you want to spend time with, you want to encourage, you want to love, you want to support them with your words and actions, or at least I would hope. But before we experienced God's grace, we didn't spend time with him, didn't really care to know him or desire the things that he desires. We definitely didn't share his good news with others. And we were lost and completely blind to the reality of our own sin. And as believers, having received that kind of forgiveness and grace and been set free from sin and accepted into God's family, how could we possibly think that we have the right to withhold extending mercy to others? And that's what we're going to get into today. If you remember the video last week, it wrestled with some pretty big questions of what does it look like to restore order to society? And what does it look like to bring order to the city of St. Joseph or justice? And kind of the key ingredient, they said, the key to bringing justice to a society and justice to a city is through hospitality. And when you think of what it looks like to bring justice to a city, that can feel extremely overwhelming. And if you think of you know, just some of the many faces that injustice plays in our city, poverty, homelessness, child hunger, emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, the list could go on and on. It's easy to get discouraged and feel like we're not doing enough. And even when we are doing a lot, it can, we can stop in our tracks and wonder if it's making any difference. And rather than feeling overwhelmed with guilt and discouragement, I think God whispers a different message to us, a message that gives us hope while also drawing us to action. And I would encourage you to write this down. I believe the message he whispers to us is this. The person standing in front of you is the most important person. The person standing in front of you is the most important person. God asks us to express justice to the person right in front of us. To show dignity and care for people that we encounter in the ordinary, everyday moments of our lives to be great listeners of them, to encourage them, and by, the, by our acts of kindness. And it's oftentimes the person that we overlook because it seems so subtle and too easy. And it's easy for us to think of hospitality or caring for our city as something that happens in addition to the day-to-day moments of our lives, as if we've got to go to that part of town to reach those people or we've got to put on that event or raise money for those people or that individual. And while those are great things, many of us do those things, myself included, I think God primarily calls us to care for the people that we encounter in the ordinary, everyday moments of our lives. Because the truth is that we are encountered with needs every day. Every day, sometimes every hour, some of us it feels like every 10 minutes your phone's ringing or somebody's got a need or they need something from you. So how do we become people who are more open to responding to those moments when needs are presented to us? When God drops an individual in front of us or a situation in front of us and he kind of looks down on us and says, hey, will you do something about this? Will you listen to this guy? Will you help him? I'm giving you an opportunity to be my hands and feet. You know, those moments when it's easier to snub your teenage child than to forgive them. Those moments when we go into the gas station and the clerk has a look of complete sorrow and despair 
on her face and we walk out the door as if nothing is wrong. Those moments when the classmate that you can't stand gave a beautiful presentation in your history class, but you don't have the kindness in your heart to compliment her. Or when our waitress at 54th Street opens up to us about their life and we apologize and say that we got to go because we got places to be. Or when the coworker who has a wife that's leaving him needs a friend, but we're too busy and we'd rather not get involved. Those are the encounters that we have every day. And those are the people and situations that God puts right in front of us. And he says, will you do something about this? Will you help this person? Will you listen to this girl? Will you help reconcile these people that just can't get along? Can you bring unity and justice to this situation? And it's easy to buy into the belief that, especially Americans, Bob talked about this a couple weeks ago, that we've got to constantly be doing great, huge, epic things for God. And if we're not, then somehow we're falling short. That we've got to feed 100 people every week and raise thousands of dollars. We've got to get on a plane and fly to China and support Christians who are being persecuted. And those are awesome things. I've done a lot of those. But most of us don't have the ability or the capacity to make those kinds of things happen. To leave our family with four children when we're in school to go to Africa or China. But we do... Each of us have the ability to care and show dignity for the people that we encounter every day in the comings and goings of our life. And I want to give you guys a story, bring in a little humor of how I have epically failed at this in my own personal life. So maybe you can find some joy in my failures um, or joy in my shortcomings. I remember back in high school, there was a kid, I think he was a couple of years younger than I was, who played drums. He was a drummer. I don't even think most people even knew this kid played drums, and he was really bad. Like, he was a terrible drummer. He had no natural rhythm. I'll just be honest. Um, he didn't have much going for him. Probably wasn't going to, you know, make a career in the music business. And on top of that, he was a nerd, social outcast, not a guy the ladies wanted to kick it with, not a guy the guys wanted to hang out with or be around. And I remember many times laughing at him making fun of him behind his back. And as I look back on that kid and just kind of my time in high school, I can't recall one time that I ever offered to help him as a drummer. Never did I eat lunch with him in the cafeteria, sat next to him. Never did I invite him over to my house to hang out or jam together. And I saw this kid every day for two or three years, walk the halls with him every day, but I failed to respond to an opportunity to care for someone who was invisible to the eyes of most people. And I showed him the opposite of hospitality by completely ignoring him and acting as though he didn't exist. And so the moral of that story is don't be like me, a jerk with a capital J. It will not get you far in life. You'll stand up in front of 200 people and admit how bad you suck and this is not good. So last week... We also talked about some, some of the barriers in our heart that um, hinder us from meeting some of the felt needs in our city. We had about five or six people share. And kind of the two main themes that came up were laziness and selfishness. Those two being the main themes or reasons why we don't do our part to bring justice to our city. or We don't do our part to bring peace and healing to our city. And while those are completely true, I think there are some deeper um, issues 
and barriers in our heart that hinder us uh, from offering hospitality to each other. I think we often carry a deeper arrogance that I'm usually not even aware of, and I would imagine most of you probably aren't, and it's an arrogance that whispers this. This is mine. This is my stuff, my time. This is my free time, my comfort, my security, my house. I can do what I want with this. I've worked hard. I deserve this. Who is anyone to tell me what to do? And I think in addition to that arrogance and entitlement mentality, there's another deeper issue, and this is what we're going to spend some time on. And it's rooted in our perspective, the way that we view ourselves and the way that we view others. And this is the meat of the message, okay? This is like the filet mignon. So if you're bored out of your mind, if you can't stand listening to me preach, that's cool. If you're ready for the Chiefs game, hey, I hear you. I got it recording. I'm ready to kick some Seahawks rear. But just tune in for 60 seconds. If you don't listen to anything else I say, listen to this. In order for us to bring justice and healing to our city... We've got to have a proper viewpoint of ourselves, and that's the starting point. We've got to view ourselves as the struggling sinner like Jean Valjean. If we've experienced God's mercy and forgiveness, we've got to remember that we were also at one point strangers and thieves and even enemies to God. And look how much we've been forgiven. We've got to constantly remind ourselves of our own brokenness and how we are daily tempted to give our hearts to anyone and anything but Christ himself. We are daily tempted to give our hearts to anything but Jesus Christ himself. And we've got to start viewing ourselves as the Apostle Paul did. Look what he wrote in 1 Timothy. He said, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Of whom I am the worst. Paul wrote close to half the New Testament and could easily be regarded as the most influential Christian in all of human history. I don't even think scholars would try to debate you on that topic. Easily be regarded as the most influential Christian in all of human history. And he called himself the worst sinner in the world. The worst sinner in the world. Do we view ourselves like that? He was constantly aware of his sin and how much he'd been forgiven. And I think the second part is having a proper perspective on the way that we view others. Do we view others as God's creation who deserve dignity and care? Do we see them as equal to us, regardless of where they are on their spiritual journey? Do we see them as people that need to be loved and forgiven just like we were? Because when we have a proper perspective that sees ourselves as struggling, broken sinners who have been graciously and radically redeemed and forgiven, and we see others as equal, whether we think they're they're equal or not, it will lead us to action. There's no way that it can't. It will be our joy to extend mercy and hospitality to others. It will be our honor to join God in his redemptive mission to bring peace and healing and justice to our city and community. I remember 
<clears throat> several years ago, I used to do a lot of work with the homeless population here in St. Joseph. I'd spend time down at Tent City. Maybe you guys have worked with a lot of homeless here in town. And there was one man that some of my friends and I would go visit frequently. He was a middle-aged man that lived on the bank of the Missouri River. We'd go see him quite a bit. Uh, we'd take food down to him so to kind of help you know, make sure the guy wasn't going to starve to death. He had some mental issues. And I remember one time a horrible storm came through the city, and it, it just ripped his tent apart, totally shattered it. So we were able to kind of raise up enough money to help buy this guy a new tent, something that was really thick, and we were able to kind of be creative enough to figure out some ways to help uh, provide him some heat during the brutal winter that was coming. And while those were really great things that I did, as I look back, I realized that there were some barriers in my heart that were not Christ-like at all, that I'm actually ashamed to even admit. Even though I would have never verbalized it, I saw myself as a savior to that guy. As someone who would go down and rescue him from his poverty. Rescue him from his lack of housing. I always thought that I had something to offer him, rather than believing that maybe he had something to offer me. Surely I couldn't learn anything from this guy, right? Or so I thought. I did not consider myself equal with him. I would have never verbalized it, but I definitely thought he was below me. I mean, he's homeless, right? How could he possibly be equal with me? Or so I thought. I did not see Jesus in him. Instead, I just patted myself on the back while looking like a noble Christian to people who knew what I was doing. Christian author Henry Nouwen had this to say about hospitality. Hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. It is not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom not disturbed by dividing lines. Hospitality is simply creating space to be a friend to someone. I love that. Creating space just to be a friend to someone. To have the heart and time to offer someone dignity. Just to listen to them, encourage them, and show our acts of kindness to them. If you think back to the Les Mis story, just for a minute, Valjean, Jean Valjean received incredible mercy from the bishop that set the course of his life. It changed his life forever. He went on to become a man of mercy himself. He became extremely influential in his city and everywhere he found himself, created tons of jobs for people, always being hospitable and loving and giving of all that he had. He even took in an orphan to care for as his own daughter. And by extending hospitality and mercy to the stranger, just to a stranger, the bishop played a part in the saving and blessing of many lives just through the kindness of one man that he had forgiven. And I think sometimes we kind of underestimate our influence. Just think about the influence that we can have as a church body. I'm going to go out on a limb. You might think I'm crazy, but I would guess, I think it's just a safe guess to say that at least 200 adults in the city of St. Joseph would call Wellspring Community Church their home church. Is that a safe guess I would say? I'd say at least 200, maybe 250 or more. Of course, we're not all here on the same Sunday. So 200, and consider all the people that we encounter 
in a given week, right? Children, parents, aunts, uncles, cousins, relatives, classmates, co-workers, you know, um, your bosses, um, gas station clerks, waitresses, waiters, the list can go on forever. I think we easily, this is probably definitely a low, low count, I'd say we, each of us easily encounter 20 people in a given week and have some type of conversation with, whether it's 30 seconds, 30 minutes, or three hours. Some of us might be hermits and you don't talk to anybody, and that's cool. Some of you probably talk to 100 or 150 people in a given week. Now, my math isn't awesome, but I believe that's 4,000 people. 200 times 20, I believe that's 4,000 people. 4,000 people that those of us here rub shoulders with and encounter in a given week and have some type of conversation with that we have the opportunity to show dignity to and offer hospitality towards. And that doesn't even include our children, our kids, our middle schoolers, high schoolers, and the influence that they could have. And thinking back on what it means to care for the stranger, I think it's interesting if you consider how, you know, how would have the wealthy people in Jesus' time, um, how would have they received him? How would we receive Jesus Christ if he actually visited St. Joseph, Missouri in physical bodily form? It's not going to happen. Sorry, that would be awesome. But how would we receive him if he came in physical body form and just started hanging out? A normal looking dude who worked as a carpenter, right? His hands were probably rough and pretty beat up from working with wood for most of his life. I'm sure he smelled bad from all the sweat. He was kind of a traveling vagabond with long hair. He would not be rocking the Ralph Lauren or the Calvin Klein. He was often a stranger to people. He was rejected by his hometown, rejected by many of his close friends. And if the truth be told, we'd probably reject him too. But look what he had to offer the world. He saw his entire life as a gift to be offered to others. And he didn't have much. He didn't have much of anything. But he was the most hospitable person in all of human history. And he extended love to some of the most unlovable people on the face of the planet. And as we come to the communion table today, we have the opportunity to remember the mercy that Christ has extended to us and to take a moment to consider what he might be asking us to do with that mercy. And hear me out, I am not telling you to go down to the banks of the Missouri River and feed people. I'm not telling you to cook a fat meal tonight and invite all the strangers in your neighborhood over. If you do, please send me an invite. I'm not telling you to give $1,000 to Salvation Army today. That's not what I'm saying. But would you be open to doing that if God asked you to? Would you be open to responding to what he might be asking you to do, that tugging on your heart? If he asks you, you know, care for this person. Will you be willing to care for them? Will you be willing to talk to them? Will you be able to jump in a situation and help reconcile two people that just can't, they don't get it, they can't figure it out? Are we willing to get up off the couch and seek justice in our city? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have a few minutes of silence before we come forward and take communion. And as always, please remember to uh, dip the bread in the juice. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your love and mercy towards us and how we 
were strangers to you, thieves and beggars and even enemies, enemies of yours. God, we're so humbled by your love and mercy. God, I pray that we will realize what an honor it is and a privilege it is and our responsibility to extend that mercy to other people, to extend the hospitality that we've received from you and to pass it on and give it away to others. God, I know you might be stirring many different things in the hearts of some people here, God, but I pray whatever it is you might be asking us to do or change or become, God, let us be open to that. Be open to that change of you tugging on our heart. Holy Spirit, speak to each one of us right now. God, we give you the silence. We give you our full attention. Our hearts and our ears are completely open to you. In Jesus' name.